Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast Supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, how to get 30, how to get 20, 20, 20, how to get 20, 20, how to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So, Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. This is the Starship Sofa. Everybody, welcome. Hello and welcome to Oral Delights, show number 127. I am your host, Tony C. Smith. Hello, everyone. Hello. Yes, I hope everyone is. Yes. It is a great day today, it certainly is. Doing this show, which is always actually a bit of a highlight for me, doing the show this morning, and then later on today, probably about evening time, my time, around about 7 o'clock, we'll be interviewing science fiction legend Jack Vance. Yes, how cool is that? And that's actually the kind of runner for my editorial. So I'll tell you what's going on in today's show. We have the editorial by my good self, entitled What Happened to Me This Week? We also have, if you've had a look on the website, some stunning artwork by Paul Kajiji. This is the kind of the end of the month where the artwork and the story goes together. And this one's just excellent. Paul, thank you so much. Paul, if you know, has done many a kind of story for Starship Sova's narrations and is the voice behind Cory Doctorow when we put the Cory Doctorow articles out as well. So do look out at Paul's site. I'll put a link on for Paul's work. It is fantastic. Paul, thank you so much. Next up is, we've got a bit of flash fiction by Ken McLeod. Then we have a little fact article. It's an update on Starship Sofas Volume 2 by D. Just give me like a heads up what's going on there. Main fiction today is The Beautiful and Damned by F. Scott Fitzgerald by Tanith Lee. Narrators for this show, J.J. Campanella for Tanith Lee's story and Jeff Michelli for the Ken McLeod story. Can't get better than that. 
So just before we get into the editorial, again, a few little mentions and a few little things. Do follow us on Twitter. Come over there on Twitter and follow us because there is some great bits of news I'm kind of putting out there. And, you know, just like you say, all it needs like a few lines, a few words to get these bits of news out, you know, who I'm interviewing and who's going on and what's happening out there. So it's nice to get that little extra medium to get kind of news out of Starship stuff, what's happening, you know, what's happening in the kind of world. And also... <laughs> which is some of the regular all-time listeners will know Starship Sofa, or really me, but it was under Starship Sofa's name, has been banned from a few sites over the years. Yes, we got banned, we got kicked off MySpace years ago, never went back there. And we also got kicked off Facebook a while ago, about three years ago, and never bothered. But hey, guess what? I'm back on Facebook and actually, because Starship Sova got bloody kicked off, I've had a you know, different email and different name and everything like that. So I'm now under, if anyone wants to come over and have a look and you know get us as a friend, please, by all means, Tony C. Smith over on Facebook. And he actually, there's a picture there, so you, you can get a look at what, what I look like. <laughs> I've had that, the most commonest thing people said, oh, oh, Chungi, that's what you look like. <laughs> So yes, come over to Facebook, join us there. It would be lovely to see you. And again, it's all I've got it all kind of linked up. So if I'm mentioning something on Twitter, it goes direct to Facebook as well. So you, you get to kind of know what's going on there as well. Same time. So please pop over, Twitter or Facebook. So we will jump in straight into the editorial. And it's really, this editorial is a sequence of events of what happened to me kind of last week. And it's all to do with, you know, these 15 questions, the Starship Sova interrogations. And it just kind of went from, you know, bigger and bigger and bigger, <laughs> where, where it kind of ended and where it's kind of still going, to be quite honest. So it's still going, like I say, with a, an interview with Jack Vance. Jack Vance is, I think he's 93 year old. Do you know what I mean? But he's... He's apparently got all his marbles and everything's together. You know, he's he's staying with a, like a, a carer or staying with his, his sons looking after him in a home or in his house. And I think he's, you know, everything's fine and well there. So that's amazing. So I'm really looking forward to that. Like, see, all I do is kind of put them 15 questions. And if I can maybe get a chance to have a little talk afterwards, that's great. You know, it'll go into the kind of show. But it all started last week where... You know, the kind of, the people I was asking for, you know, the 15 questions, you know, Gene Wolf, I had, God, legend Gene Wolf on there. And I've got loads, you know what I mean? I've kind of had people on, or people I've been recording. And I keep on thinking to myself, you know, I should do something else with this. I should try and, yes, put it in the show. But like I kind of, I think I've hinted on before, get them in a book. And either go through, you know, Lulu, get it published that way by ourselves. Or go maybe even try it, you know, in the outside world. You know, I'm still at the minute figuring what to do on that score. But definitely get them all in a book. This is my idea. So then, <laughs> typical me, do you know what I mean? It's kind of, honestly, the bull by the horns. And for this week, I've been kind of submerged in all these kind of interviews and just getting interviews, you know, and it's just really, like you say, 10 minutes. If The most important thing, or the, the crucial thing for me is if I can get their email address or, you know, some sort of contact, there's people out there who've been like, kind of, who's legends, you know, who've been kind of writing, but then they don't write maybe, or they just don't, you just don't have contact, or they've got that many barriers between them, you know, getting in touch with them. 
Connie Willis for me, I think is a, is a hard one to get. You know, I just I don't know if she does these interviews or very you know very quiet on doing interviews or there's just too much kind of I was going to say media, too many brick walls of like you know going through agents and everything like that. But you know, God loves a trier. <laughs> So I kind of I thought I'm gonna try and get Ursula Kayla Gwynn. <laughs> Why not? You know what I mean? My God, this is Starship Sofa. So I see. I knew. Well, I actually dropped a message to Charles Tan, or I think I put. That's the beauty of Twitter. I just put a message on, you know, Twitter. How do I get in touch with Ursula Kayla Gwynn? And Charles Tan mentioned like a podcast. Try them, and then I kind of just went on our site. Actually, you know, simple as that. And you know, there was our agent's name. So I just dropped an email, you know, to our agent and see where it would come. And at this moment, we're kind of in talks. Do you know I mean, I don't think she's ever done anything like this before, like a, a podcast audio thing. So we're just kind of waiting. Do you know what I mean? But that, I was thinking, I got that kind of little catch. Do you know what I mean? I got a reply from the agent and now we're in kind of a little bit of a talks. And like I say, it might come off, it might not. But then I was thinking... You know, I mean, <laughs> I'm not going to stop there. Do you know what I mean? Not a chance. So I thought I'm going to interview. I'm going to ask Robert Silverberg. <laughs> now, this guy to me is. Do you know what I mean? This kind of legends, and then there's like this, this kind of the granddaddies. You know what I mean? And like I say, I've spoken to Michael Moorcock, and he's very approachable. But I've never really contacted. Robert Silverberg, and I just think, you know what I mean, you know what I mean, and I thought, well, I'll try, send off the email, and within minutes, do you know what I mean, got an email back, yeah, Tony, you know, send over, he says, send over the questions, and I'll have a look, you know, and he says, I'll, I'll have a think, and he says, you know, depending on the questions, you know, I, I can't see a problem, and I was like, actually, when he emailed that back, then I was thinking, oh, damn, what have I done, do you know what I mean, this is like big time now, this is not just me kind of flaking around, flunking around, do you know what I mean? This is Robert Silverberg. So, it gets, it gets another email back. Yeah, that should be no problem. And bear in mind, well, the thing is that I kind of keep explaining to all these kind of, you know, as these luminaries in the kind of science fiction world. These questions, there's two things you've got to think about with these questions. First off, the very basic questions, do you know what I mean? They're like so basic you know, you've been probably asked them a hundred times more. You know, like say the like Robert Silverberg's probably been asked, "Are you a science fiction writer?" You know, I mean, tell us about your childhood. Thousands of times, but that's the point I wanted. Do you know what I mean? I wanted questions where that's you know, it's such a basic question, but you can get such different answers from different writers. You know, I didn't want this kind of like an arty farty, complicated not complicated question, but you know, a bit of a clever shape question for one of a better description and it'll just be wasted do you know what I mean you want a kind of basic simple question so you can just kind of compare say the likes of Robert Silverberg's question answer sorry to Gene Wolfe's you know 15 of them so that was the idea you know but where I got these questions from is I think I've mentioned this on the show as well just on Twitter on the forums on the show tell us Give us a question that you would ask, you know, give us one question you would ask a science fiction writer. And I say, I got loads in, loads and loads and loads, all from the from Twitter, emails, the forums. Got that one, all these questions in, and I just kind of whittled them down and got all, you know, put these kind of, and I wanted 15 questions. And these were the ones that I picked, like, the most popular. So, yes, you know, people, I've, I've actually had one writer, 
You know what I mean? Trying to be clever. Not trying to be clever, but just, you know. They're not very original questions. And you kind of really argue back with them. You know what I mean? That's their point. But it, it doesn't matter. You know what I mean? It's like getting their answers. That's the kind of goal for me. But the kind of main thing is, that's what fans of science fiction want to know. You know what I mean? That was the one question I asked. What was the one question you would ask a science fiction writer? And these are the questions back. And it doesn't, you know, like say, they are basic questions. But when I'm, I'm now kind of getting to see the answers, it's making like great reading. So it gets to Robert Silverberg, you know, <laughs> and I was just thinking, wow, I've got Robert Silverberg to interview like that. This is like amazing. And I'm starting to worry. And then I thought, <laughs> I don't know why I do this to myself, to be quite honest. I thought, you know what? I ain't going to stop there. I had this sneaky feeling. And I mentioned, I think, I don't know where, how I got to know or anything like that. But I thought, you know, the one writer who I would kind of dearly love, you know, kind of one of the, it actually probably stopped me lighting fires, do you know what I mean, when I was a kind of kid, is Ray Bradbury. Do you know what I mean? I picked up his books. And I thought, you know what I mean? The guy's still alive. Ah, just give him a phone up. Do you know what I mean? But how do you get to Ray Bradbury? Do you know what I mean? This is like, if you Google his name, you pick up his pictures on Google. He's sitting with kind of President Bush and his wife. Do you know what I mean? He is like legend, you know, especially in America, you know, kind of revered writer. How do you get Ray Bradbury? How do I get him on the telephone? Because that's all I need. You know what I mean? I can kind of record everything here. Well, how do I get from that that place to talking to Rhea Bradbury? Shall I tell you how? You contact Larry Lady Santuro, who knows him, who's known him for many years, only friends with Rhea Bradbury. How did I not know that? How did Larry not even tell me that? Do you know what I mean? So it's like, I just dropped a bloody email to Larry. I said, Larry, do you know Rhea Bradbury? It was literally like that. Do you know Rhea? You didn't tell me you knew Ray Bradbury. The guy, you know what I mean, probably put us on a straight and narrow. And got an email back off Larry. Oh, yeah, well, yes, I'll drop him. And he, on his reply letter back, right, that's his number and there's his address. And it was like, you are joking. And I was like, this is where I can, honestly, I'm not joking, you know, better descriptions are probably out there. I was shitting myself. Do you know what I mean? He says, I'll phone up for you, Tony, and I'll just make a, an appointment. See if we can, you know, pull this off. And it was like, oh, man. You know, bear in mind, I've got Robert Silverberg at bloody Toto. <laughs> My heart rate was just like, and, oh, it's, easy, it's a little bit easier when I'm kind of sitting here at my desk, you know, kind of waffling on. I couldn't probably do any of this standing up on a stage, you know what I mean? But got an email back off Larry. Yeah, Tony, Wednesday, 12 o'clock, Los Angeles time. Give him a phone, that's his number again. And I actually had to, and it's, if you go into the sanatorium show, I had to actually get a hold of Larry and have a chat with him, do you know what I mean? Just to find out, you know, because Larry said in his email, he's very old, he's a little bit deaf, he's had a stroke, <laughs> and I'm thinking, oh, what have I done, man? What have I done? I don't want to upset him, do you know what I mean? And I don't want to upset bloody America, you know what I mean? <laughs> Interviewing this guy and, you know, Ray, Ray, shouting at him because he can't hear and everything like that. So, oh, it was, you know what I mean? I just, I was actually worried sick. And if you listen to the kind of, 
on the sanatorium show, if, if anyone wanted to go over there and listen to that, you'll kind of hear, you know, I'm, I'm worried sick, to be quite honest. And, you know, Larry's lovely kind of puts a disease and just says, well, phone him. Do you know what I mean? He, he, he says that was the impression he got. You know, he, he might be using like a bit of a machine to kind of do his, for his sound, for his phone, but phone him. So, you know what I mean? The, the kind of Robert Silverberg interview came and... His answers were lovely, do you know what I mean? And I was actually, I was nervous, you know what I mean? Probably out of all of them, maybe one, which I'm coming to, maybe one, I was, like, nervous about. Do you know what I mean? Because I think, in, you know what I mean? It just, he's a respected man, do you know what I mean? He's, like, the, the kind of work he's put out, the anthologies he's put out, the kind of history he's wrote about science fiction, do you know what I mean? It's just, like, staggering. And I had to interview him, you know, I had to kind of interview him with these questions, which I'm kind of thinking, oh, this sounds so bloody basic. But he was lovely. Do you know what I mean? Really nice kind of guy. And I think, I'm sure, you know, well over 40 minutes this interview lasted with Robert Silverberg. And I can see that's coming on. And, you know, the idea is to kind of get them all in this book as well. So the next year was Rhea Bradbury. <laughs> you know what I mean? Hey, it's like in a week. So uh, this is I'm kind of worried about this. Just... In a way, I wasn't worried about the kind of the Silverberg where it was. It was more kind. Of, I was anxious because I just didn't want to make a fool of myself. It was you know I didn't want to kind of trip up. Where the Ray Bradbury one was, I was just purely worried. I didn't want to upset them. I didn't think you know I didn't know if it would come off or anything like that. So you know, and it's weird. You're sitting down in your living room. You know what I mean? It's like I've done these shows a hundred times now. That oh, hundreds of times. It's just me the microphone and the computer screens and that's what it's like when you're kind of phoning up do you know what I mean these kind of and there's this number I've got this telephone number you know and I just kind of inserted into Skype there and that's Ray Bradbury's number you know what your fucking heart is hammering trust us do you know what I mean it doesn't hammer no harder presses dial and it was a kind of funny system for Ray Bradbury you know he's like Please state, you know, it's kind of all automated. You know, we know you were calling. Can you please state your name so the the, the acceptor or whoever can answer the call and says, it's Tony Smith. Yeah, Starship's over. And then all of a sudden, hello! <laughs> Ray Bradbury on the other side of the phone. And it was like, oh, man. And it lasted, the phone call probably lasted four minutes. The actual interview is probably two minutes, if that. Do you know what I mean? But it's like, I can't keep, this is the way I'm telling myself, and it's, this is the best description of it. It's like having, you know, the top trumps, the cards, them, them games, top trumps. Although the interview might be just like two minutes long, and a lot of the answers are one-word answers. It's, and that's why he's a good writer, because you can get the whole answer in one word. You know what I mean? Because when you hear them, it's just having Ray Bradbury. Do you know what I mean? That's... That's now like a top trump card. It doesn't matter that, see, another writer has went on for oodles of time and talked and really lo- lovely, colourful descriptions of getting Rhea Bradbury. That is one of the top trump cards. Do you know what I mean? And I'll, st- I'll tell you the first, I'll go into the kind of first little bit of the interview. Do you know what I mean? And I says, Mr. Bradbury, it's Tony Smith, Starship Sofa. Yes! <laughs> yes! I says, Larry Organa. Yes! Yes! And, you know, you could kind of tell. And then I said, I'm just going to answer this. Yes! So the first one came up. Mr. Bradbury, are you a science fiction writer? <laughs> no! I thought nine-year-old is going to come over here and clatter as one. 
You know, because all the way through his life, he's never said he's a science fiction writer. You know, but that's the that's the kind of thing with these questions. It's everybody's answers are different, and everyone thinks these writers. I think I'm directing the questions at them, but it's just it doesn't matter what their answer is. It's just in context with everybody else's. But Rhea Bradbury, no, <laughs> and I just thought that was lush that to be quite honest. Well, actually, it wasn't like a. It was more like a no. You know, it was like a. How many times have I got to tell people? And then, you know, we, we did the interview. And like I say, it lasted about two minutes. And that was fantastic. You know what I mean? And recorded and said, you know, thank you very much. So I was then left with the position. And apologize if this editorial's going on too long. But I uh, <laughs> just needed to kind of get this off my chest as well. And it's funny, last week's show, I got more emails and more comments on the forum saying, well, she was a little girl. Do you know what I mean? Because it was only a small show last week. So we're going to rectify that this week. This will be the longest editorial. So there you go. I've had Robert Silverberg, Rhea Bradbury. Do you know what I mean? Then with Rhea Bra- with Robert Silverberg, I was kind of mentioning things, and Jack Vance came up, and Robert Silverberg just dropped a dropped an email to Jack Vance's son, and it's organised. So I've got that tonight, but right a few days ago. You know, I'm still sitting there, you know, on a high, on a high. Who can ask? Who can ask? You know what I mean? Come on, who can ask? Who can ask? Harlan Ellison. Where the hell, how I come to Harlan Ellison's name? And I thought, I'll, I'll just do Harlan Ellison. Do you know what I mean? What, how hard can it be? <laughs> and, you know, Harlan Ellison's two things. You know what I mean? You don't mess with him. And you certainly don't phone him up out of the blue. And speak to him, you know because I mean? he doesn't give. You know, he's he's very private. He doesn't give his you know his addresses out or anything like that. Again, how do I get? You know, how do I kind of get that kind of three second gap to say, Harlan, is you you know, put your hand up. Can I can you ask a question to you? But again, I just kind of asked out, and you know, I'm not going to tell. I'm not even going to say where. But telephone number came. Do you know what I mean? Now you, you imagine. How hard my heart was beating when I was sitting at my desk with Ray Bradbury, right? It wasn't nowhere near what it was hammering like when it was sitting in Skype and I was waiting to press for Harlan Ellison. I was a shitting myself. I can't describe it anymore. I really was. You know what I mean? I'm 44. Like, see, I've been a bit of a tinker in the past with fires and all that. And, you know, I'm kind of, I'm not standing for no nonsense like that. I was a big baby. Do you know what I mean? I was the biggest... If anyone at that time, when I was just about to dial Harlan Nelson's number and said, Tony, come here, I would have just started to cry. Do you know what I mean? It would be simple. I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. I, I did it. I did Melly. I washed the dishes. I'll do this. I would have done anything. Do you know what I mean? And actually, I would have done anything to get out of it. So, oh, you, you cannot believe how fucking scared I was. I pressed the, the thing and there it went. This is fucking Hal Nelson's number, and then you know it was it was lovely, and this lady picked the phone up and yes, can I help you, Hal Nelson's office? And I said, <laughs> you know, what I mean? the world just goes blank on you. Do you know what I mean? Thing, things start to just kind of all things start to melt and slide down the walls, and the sound starts to go just crazy for you. And I said, <laughs> Tony Smith, is it possible to speak to Hal Nelson, please? And I didn't like to see it. I'm from the Starship Sofa podcast. I just said. I'm from the Starship Sofa. Sure. <laughs> right. She says, one moment, sir. She says, would you be kind enough to ring back in five minutes? She says, that's all we need, just five minutes. Harlan's a little bit busy. One moment. 
And I says, yes, yes. Puts the phone down. I'm thinking, oh, he's finding out who Tony Smith is. He's finding out who Starship Sofa is. And he's going to, you know, that's the kind of what I was thinking. This guy is going to go crack us. He's going to come over here and strangle us. And then I was like, oh, man. And I, honestly, the thing was beating me hard. Five minutes. Just went over like that. Do you know what I mean? Like, oh God, I had a phone back, I had a phone back. And I had all the kind of my questions on there and I had all these kind of notes and everything when everything was just swimming in front of us. Do you know what I mean? I couldn't even see anything. Phone's back. She says, yes. I says, this is Tony Smith, I would like to speak to you. Just one moment, I'll put you through. And it went, and it went through and it, Harlan picked it up. <laughs> you know what I mean? That's what, he's like, is that, is that Harlan Ellison? <laughs> and you know I'm not joking, he was lovely, he was great, and yes, you know, he was kind of, I said, and he was like, whoa, 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 slow down, slow down, tell us your first name, <laughs> I was like, especially in my kind of, you know, northern dialect, running away miles with him, he says, I can't, you're going too fast, tell, so he was like, it's Tony Smith, Starship Sofa, and I says, you know, I just kind of set out the kind of thing, Harlan, I would like to kind of, he says, well, yeah, you know, he says, tell you what, Tony. And he was lovely, honestly. He says, you know, these questions can lead forever. He says, but I said, and he, was, and he was talking, and he was lovely. He was talking about all sorts. We were on the phone for 10 minutes. And what he did say was, though, he says, tell you what, he says, put your answers, send them over. He says, he's got a website, send them over, and I'll, you know, I'll answer them to the best of my ability. And he says, if anything comes of it, you know, send it, send a bit of kind of bump back to me address, you know, any, like you say, if it comes out in a book, send that over. If it comes out, any artwork, if it comes out, send that over. And then I had to ask him, because also, there's two things I had to ask him, you know, and one was a kind of legitimate kind of question I had to ask him. I've got one of the stories from The Last Dangerous Visions, it's called. I've got a story by Langdon Jones from that, you know, in this kind of, this anthology never got out and it's kind of one of these sacred things in science fiction. And I had asked him, can I play it? You know, and he straight away, yes, yes. But what was really good was straight away, he was thinking of the right and he says, make sure Langdon gets copyright. You know, that's all, you know, he is such a fighter for, you know, for the writer. And it's, you know, it's amazing for that. And he says, yes, play it, please play it. Again, he says, if there's any chance you can send over any kind of document or anything so I can maybe listen to it, you know, send it over to this address. And he says, give us his fax number, <laughs> give us his address. You know, I'm thinking, this is all Nelson. Do you mean the guy who can throttle people just by looking at them? And then he said, mine, which was funny, and I told this to my wife, and my wife just like kind of looked, because my wife doesn't, has never listened to a show and, you know, knows the kind of science fiction and, you know, knows it's important to us. But from that side of it, you know, doesn't know much. And then I mentioned this Hall Nelson, never heard of him. And I says, he's also mentioned, and I says this to Melanie, I says, he's mentioned about his address and his phone number and everything. And he says, Tony, <laughs> he just stopped all joking and everything like that. He's just very quiet. He says, Tony, if you ever, ever, Give that address to anybody. Give that fax number. Give that telephone number. If you ever give that to anybody, he says, I will come over to England. He says, I will kill you, your wife, your children, and any of your relations. I will wipe the whole of the Smith clan. You know, it was like that. And I was like, yeah, yeah, honestly, hold, honestly, it'll be good. <laughs> so, that's where we are. It's just amazing. Do you know what I mean? What a week I've had on Starship. So it doesn't get any better. And then we've coming up, you know, 
the next show, which is beyond Sunday, is going to be, do we get a nomination for the Hugo Awards? Do you know what I mean? So please listen to that as well, because this has been, you know, it's two weeks now, but this is going to be kind of two amazing weeks for Starship so far, kind of behind the scenes. The idea is for that show is to kind of record it on the night, which is the kind of Sunday. And there'll be the odd one, little things sprinkled in between. But the main Sunday show is myself, Amy H. Sturgis, Larry Santuru and Grant Stone just watching the kind of the kind of internet to when the announcements get made and, you know, if we get kind of picked up there. So that is the week I've had, like I say, and it's ending, or it's not, you know, it's got Jack Vance tonight. And there's not often you can kind of see you support Robert Silverberg, Ray Bradbury and Harlan Ellison. Do you know, and there's been more, do you know what I mean? I supported Robert J. Sawyer. Spoke to Ken McLeod. I just last night spoke to Jack McDivitt, which was he was you know when you kind of you don't know the really the writers that much, but the enthusiasm Jack McDivitt's got for kind of just life and science fiction is just it's an addiction and it's a lovely one out of court. Do you know what I mean? Because you listen to him and he's just like fantastic about it. So that is the editorial. Sorry, it has waffled on so much, but I just had to kind of tell you this story. Do you know what I mean? It's how how often does that happen in your lifetime? So let's get in with a little bit of flash fiction. Today's flash fiction, because we've not often played now, is <laughs> by Ken McLeod, I Think, and it's narrated by Jeff Mincelli. I Think, Therefore I Am, by Ken McLeod. Congratulations on your purchase of a new I Think. With its 15 terabytes of storage and automatic wireless internet access, the iThink can easily meet all your information needs, work, news, personal records and memories, and entertainment media, including music, movies, and games. Please take a few minutes to familiarize your iThink with you. First, take the eyeglasses from the box and put them on. Hold the iThink in your hand and touch the center button of the wheel with your thumb. A menu will appear in front of your eyes as well as on the screen. Look at any item on the menu and choose it. There is no need to blink or make any unusual eye or facial movements. Simply look and choose. Confirm your choice by scrolling to the item and clicking on the center button. Choose another item. Look and choose. Confirm your choice. Choose another item. Look and choose. Your I think is now initialized. It is also personalized. No one else can use your iThink. There is no need for any other access control feature such as a password. To choose an item when you are not using your eyeglasses, simply use the wheel and center button in the usual way. Your iThink is now ready for use. To recover sights and sounds encountered while wearing the eyeglasses, use the iRecall option of the playback feature. The playback feature has a date and time menu, however, over time as you use iRecall, it will become increasingly easy to recover a given sight or sound, simply by trying to recall it as vividly as possible. The default setting of the security feature enables sights and sounds stored in the iThink to be automatically uploaded to your national or local police artificial intelligence. This makes it easy to recover your iThink and or its contents if your iThink is lost or stolen and will assist you if you are ever called upon to assist the police with their inquiries. Your privacy is important to us. For this reason, you have the option of turning off the security feature at any time. 
For security reasons and for your own protection, turning off the security feature is automatically reported to your local or national security agencies. To enter data or to write a document, place the iThink on its stand on any flat surface. Select Keyboard. A virtual keyboard will appear on the flat surface. Simply tap this keyboard in the usual way. Over time, as you use the keyboard, the iThink will come to anticipate your keystrokes. Writing speeds of at least 60 words per minute can thus be easily attained by any practiced but untrained user. A large library of books, music, games, and movies is pre-installed. Other books, tracks, etc. can be downloaded from the Internet. Google features including Earth, Planets, and Sky are pre-installed. Use of Google Buildings while in control of any moving vehicle voids the warranty. Games from Tetris and Minesweeper to the latest release of popular MMP RPGs are pre-installed. Enjoy! One game in particular is useful for keeping your eye think synchronized with your personal characteristics. Put your eyeglasses on. Choose the Games menu. Look and choose. Choose Predictor. To initialize Predictor, click the center button on the wheel. The screen will now light up. Click the center button again. The screen will light up. Predictor is now initialized. The object of the game is to click the center button before the screen lights up. When you are ready to play, the screen will light up. Click the center button. When you are ready to play again, the screen will light up. Click the center button. And so on. The screen will almost always light up just before you click the center button. Continue as long as this amuses you. If you wish to understand what is going on, look up or Google Libet Experiment and Readiness Potential. If you find this demonstration of the illusory nature of conscious will disturbing, consult the philosophy section of your pre-installed library. If you do not understand the explanations, do not let this disturb you. Simply stop playing Predictor. Return to the Games menu, choose something else, look and choose. Within a few minutes, the illusion of conscious will returns with full effect. This feature is pre-installed. Note, the above version of the I Think Readme was withdrawn after the first 2.7 million sales and its author sacked. There you go. Thank you, Ken, and thank you. Ken McLeod has sat the 15 questions as well. Here's another writer that I've done. So we have a little fact article by our friend, good friend D. Just a really an update on Starship Sovas Volume 2, just to let you know what's kind of happening a little bit with that and what's went before with Starship Sovas Volume 1. D, sir! Hello there, fellow Sophonauts. This is Petty Officer D. Kniff reporting in from the bowels of Publishing Deck C. I'm taking a break from pulping paper from the papyrus marshes of Osiris 9 and extracting ink from the giant octosquids of Oceanic 6 to make this short report on the progress of Starship Sofa Stories Volume 2. Firstly, I'd like to thank Tony for all the hours of free entertainment he's provided us over the years, and I hope that the work I've been doing here in the publishing deck of the Starship Sofa goes some way to pay him back for all the great stories and articles he's pulled together for us. When I first decided to contact Tony regarding Starship Sofa Stories Volume 1, I kept putting it off, and I mean putting it off. I first had the idea at about episode 85, and it wasn't until episode 98 that I realised I really needed to put on my jetpack and send that mail. I wasn't really expecting any response due to the fact that Starship Sofa was an audio magazine, but Tony was straight back on to me full of his usual enthusiasm and vigour. 
The original intention had been to produce a free online PDF available for download, but Tony, in his usual niggly-naggly way of making people do his bidding, convinced me to think bigger. So in the space of two weeks, we managed to secure publishing rights to some of the most excellent stories that have run on the podcast since episode one, drag a few fantastic artists together, find a plethora of public domain images and ads from magazines of old, and put together various size editions of the book on print-and-demand web services and electronic versions. And there were more different sized versions than were seen by the public due to the crazy pricing structure offered by Lulu. The smaller, cheaper sized books actually cost twice as much to post than the better quality A5 size. Go figure. So with some last minute resizes on Blurb we were ready to go. And again Tony called in some favours with Starship regulars, Skeet with his fantastic cover art and Josh with all his wonderful behind the scenes web tinkering. The final product, in my opinion, was a tremendous accomplishment. It looked and it felt the part. But would it sell? Well, we've sold a couple of hundred copies and there's been thousands of views on the online PDF. So in my book, that's a success. And the response was great. Everybody loved it. And to top it all off, Larry Centaur's amazing offer to write a story based on Skeet's cover was a great idea. The resulting Lord Dickens declaration was a tour de force. And the huge community push to raise funds for the Robinsons really made all the long hours and late nights absolutely worth it. Well done, the Sophonauts. So on to volume two. I can't say much about the next volume. I've signed the official State Secrets Act on this one. But I can tell you there's an amazing lineup of stories here. And I've started working early on this one. Way early. I've been in pre-production since January for a hopefully September or October release. Having this huge lead time has enabled me to do something I've always wanted to do. To work with some of the top names in comic books and illustration. I've taken a leaf out of Tony's book and sent out emails to all of my heroes. The kind of people I grew up reading in Marvel and DC Comics and seeing in the covers of the books in the sci-fi fantasy section of the library. And the kind of people who still illustrate the comics I go down to my local comic book shop now and buy. And guess what? Most of them have got back to me, either with apologies or with an offer of art. Which is amazing, proving the truth of the age-old adage of nothing ventured, nothing gained. Where artists couldn't fit us into their schedule, even the time taken to read and reply to my mails is enough for me. Artists have been kind enough to do new illustrations for every story in the book. And also, there's more pictures than I know what to do with. So I'll be replacing the old-style ads with amazing Starship Sofa Stories pin-ups. There's now an amazing roster of artists on board with this project, both new and old. And I hope you'll be as happy with the final book as I am. Also, Skeet has come up trumps again with what I reckon is an even better cover image. He really has captured the look and feel of the golden age of sci-fi. So here's to another couple of months of hard grind, especially on the next Starship Sofa Project transcribed book. And again, a big thank you to Tony, to my fellow Sophonauts, and to all the writers and illustrators who make this community great to be a part of. This is Dee, signing off. There you go. It is, I'm not joking, mind you. It's shaping up to be an excellent book, this. Do you know what I mean? Wow. You know, we'll start kind of announcing things later on in the year, but it's just coming together so much. And we're going to get a little fact article in a week or two by the transcribers because that program and that project is hotting right up. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Let's get on to some main fiction. Main fiction comes from Tanith Lee, who was actually guest of honour at the World at the Brighton World Horror Convention last week. The story is The Beautiful and the Damned by F. Scott Fitzgerald. It is narrated by J.J. Campanella. I'll put a link on to Tantley's site, and fingers crossed we can get some more work by Tantley. Amazing story. 
and a bit of amazing artwork as well to go with this story. So, Paul Kajiji, thank you so much for that as well. So, the Starship Sova and her oral delights is very proud to present The Beautiful and the Damned by F. Scott Fitzgerald by Tanith Lee. A man had collapsed in the airport. They were dealing with it in the usual efficient way. It had taken so long to get in through the front line tome security, and they tried to hustle me on like the rest when I paused to see. I blazed my PI card. They backed away, and then let me watch. God, he was a handsome guy. I mean, he was truly beautiful. The man being lifted on the trolley. Gold hair, unlined tan of skin, perfect weight. Looked like he could run for the Olympian at St. Max. But he was barely conscious now, though softly whimpering. They'd already set up the float drip to feed him pain relief and rehydration. His eyes were shut. The nearest medic glanced at me. Seen enough? Just stick around, she snapped. Her voice and eyes were full of controlled rage. She wasn't wearing a metamask. And she was rather special looking herself. I took the elevator up to the next stage of security, heightened now, and another long wait. I was glad I'd brought a book. They are pretty tight, the tomes. Enclosed runway and landing area, outer airlock, double inner airlock, frisker, and then every robo-check known to mankind, plus all the extra ones installed during the past seven months. Iris reading, prints, bone marrow stat, DNA, blood and phi stat, skull template, molecular shower, absolvement, Going the other way, the treatment is even more complex. Four and three-quarter hours as opposed to the three needed going in. But who's aiming to leave? Aside, of course, from people like me. Hello, Jack. Good old Edmund Kovalchi. There he was, just the same as ever. Twenty to twenty-five pounds overweight and bald as a balloon. He led me down the block and into the diner. It was only around noon, not a lot of custom yet, and there wouldn't be, he assured me, until much later in the day, when citizens surfaced from the haze and made it here for a dunch. Only a couple of diehards sat at tables far off across the big shadowy room, an old woman with green hair scribbling on a notepad, a decanter and glass beside her, and a fellow in one corner who was working his way through the kind of breakfast I and Ed used to regularly take when we were twenty-four. Double steak, triple egg, mushrooms, karash, hashes, and a separate big bowl of fries. Each to his own poison. Sure, I said. The two people looked okay. How are you doing, Edmund, my man? Fine, he said, grinning. Gained two extra pounds, so the weight winner tells me. Oh, and I reckon my very last scalp hair resigned last night. I found it on the pillow. Mariana said that deserved a coffee cake, so she's baking one. You are welcome to drop by around nine tonight, if you can make a break. Sample the same. We paused a while, thinking respectfully of Mariana's coffee cake. Funny the way little things hold you. But his eyes were sad. Of course they were. It was only a couple of weeks ago. How is she taking it, Ed? She's a warrior, Jack. You know that. I know. The service wheeled over, and we ordered sandwiches, some rye whiskey for Ed, 
and a tumbler of fresh orange for me. I've got to watch it till later. Sure, sure, make up for it then. Like half the city, I said. Maybe I shouldn't have. Should have waited, but Ed is one of my oldest friends. We go back such a long way. Sometimes I can barely count the dips in the road between now and then. But some of them were steep. And we made it, Ed and I. And Mariana. How is it? He asked me, serious, looking up from his glass. Any progress? Not much. I thought not, he said. We're in the same business. His core clearance is Omega. No need to lie, and in fact, I couldn't. One of the reasons I was here to see him was to link him in, put him wise. I reached over and laid the little disc, only about the size of a quarter, next to the bottle. For your eyes only. Yeah. He slid it into a secure pocket. My eyes, though, Jack, have seen a great many things in this city during the past sixteen weeks. Sure. What goes out on TV wide? Not a lot, they edit, to spare the sensitive viewer. He let go a loud gout of laughter which startled me. I had every reason to think he might act unstable, but somehow, Ed of anyone, I thought he would handle it. In another second he did. Sorry, chum, just makes me angry. And it does. Some angry, some sad, some very afraid. Aren't they doing a frigging thing? Now his voice was soft, and his sad eyes fixed only on the whiskey. They're trying, but... I broke off, and he, not even turning, knew at once why I did. Some of them. One of them has come in, he said. Right? That's right. Gal or guy? Guy. Look like trouble. Not yet. God, he said. He's early. Most of them don't shift until late afternoon. Why would they? How far along? Looks away. Head turned slowly and squinted back into the light where the doorway gave on the sidewalk. He took a brief visual camera shot of what I had seen. A man, apparently around thirty-four, built of lean muscle and with black hair hung to his collar. He was dressed okay, which sometimes they are not. Some of them. Especially later, when plenty come out flaunting naked. The man laughed when he saw us looking, and then walked easy to our table. Hey, fellers. Sorry, Ed mumbled. It's okay. Don't blame you. After all, you never know. You may still be able to stare at me next Thanksgiving. He strode off to the service bar. Our sandwiches arrived. Only the woman with the green hair stood up and left, walking out with a decanter of yellow wine, half full in her hand. Gaines Journal, X7 I was never the pretty one. Ugly duckling me. Used to upset Ma more than me, I think. I think she made me self-conscious. My nose was too big, and my mouth, fat, and my eyes not big enough, and my hair too fine and greasy. And diet all I would, still too heavy. The humiliation of the school scales. And then the weight loser. Every other kid sloughing off the fat. And poor Gain. Hey, Gain's gained another pound. Lay off the Choco Stars, they told me. Never believed I didn't eat them anyway. Metabolic rate, they said. When I was an anorexic 20-year-old, losing my hair and weighing it at 176 pounds. 
You're too fat, said Mal. And then he ditched me, and I was thirty. You fat cow, said Martin, when he left me the day after my fortieth birthday. And then last year. Fall. Then. Just a little thing. Hey, Gainey, you finally cracked it. In fall, seven pounds fell off me. Like leaves. What is that shampoo, Gain? Say, your hair is brilliant. This, about two months before they fix on the dome. After Ed and I split, I took a cab over to Memphis Street. The driver was full of it. You know what I think it is? A prompting pause. What do you think it is? It's these new bump aerosols. Right. How is that? Well, buddy, you spray the darn things all over. Some folks are going to react. What do you expect? I expect to hear the theory of every man I meet who isn't creeping through a shadow or beating out his brain on a wall. And I've heard plenty. It's the M.E. block. It's terrorism funded. It's extraterrestrials. It's feral crops that have grown legs and glowing eyes and run through the night snarling. It's vampires. So, angry and scared and stupid, just plain dumb. The front for the corp building on Memphis is a deli, and I climbed up the old paper screws of 51 stairs to reach the office. There's big security on the door, always was, but now, too, another airlock. Bulletproof. Bombproof, maybe. Wilson sat behind his desk. He looked the same as ever, too. God, it's good to see you, Jack, despite the circumstance. Yes, likewise. I placed the second larger disc by his hand, and a robo-service whipped out the wall and squirreled it away. How is it outside? I told him. Wilson looked grim. Since we got closed down, we've gotten a bit of... There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. Plush Care accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. A delay in here finding things out. 
that wasn't so at the start. Except we get all the news, unexpurgated, for the other three cities involved. He consulted his lapo file as if to avoid my look when I said, dumb as the cabbie. Three? Ah, you hadn't heard. Yes, three now. He showed me the screen. Here's the latest. Eastern Seaboard. 187 confirmed. 90 pending. At this stage, that's enough. They'll be shutting down by this evening. Shutdown gets faster. Has to. They were over a month with us. You could imagine the pink tape. Another city under a tome? He looked at me. Cold-eyed bastard, Wilson. Steel and mere. What else, Jack, do we have? The tomes. It's jargon. Officially they are known as what they are. Domes. Hygienic, airproof, waterproof. Not another rainy day. Some of them joked when the first was lowered and cemented into place. Pure, self-cleaning, germ-erasing air. And not a chance of a rogue airplane breaking through. Ever a cloud without a silver. Gaines Journal, X7 Good morning, miss. Uh, said my regular physician as I walked into his office. Carradine. Carradine? Now that's strange. We already have a Miss Carradine. I am she, he smiled. No, you're not. I did what I had to around the city. I'd gotten through most of it before the deadline. Like Ed and the others had told me, by then I began to see them coming out of their bolt holes into the light of deepening afternoon. It reminded me of semi-nocturnal animals leaving their burrows. Dangerous animals, and the rest of the prey animals, then scattered off the veldt. The streets were certainly emptying, the vulnerable ones, whose employers still don't let them off early, clubbed together for a taxi or a hire bus. There is safety in numbers, perhaps. But of course it's less any kind of attack they're afraid of than just the hell of foreseeing. Did anyone think it would ever be like this? Did anyone ever predict it could happen like this? There was an old guy sat on the sidewalk outside Ed's apartment block, drinking a can of Colby's. He looked up and shook his dirty grey locks at me and winked a bleary eye. You and me both, sir. The weak shall inherit. Sure, Pops. Mariana. I used to have a big thing about her when Ed and I were in our twenties. She chose Ed and a better guy she could not have found, as she had panned the whole state for gold. And cook, God, could Mariana cook. Yes, a cliché, but you see, she liked to cook. With her it was performance art. It was art. And it even lasted. You never forgot. I have dated events sometimes from the food she made. The day of the lobster with oranges. The hour of the cinnamon cookies. Ed used to tell me, these past thirty years, you kept your weight down, boy, because you never lived with anyone who could cook like Mariana. In fact, the past half year, I'd had something else to help me there. Better late than never. She, though, never altered. Well, okay, she was older. 
Around fifty-nine now, I guessed. I'd never really known her age. Her hair had grayed, but she blonded it at the salon. Her figure was lush, but not out of shape. So a few lines in the rose petal of her face. Sure, I still loved her. But now in the way you love the best of your past. She had never been mine, and I was glad. I wouldn't have made her happy. And Ed, he had... We had a drink on the balcony that looked out along Walnut toward Bait Street, and over there now you could see the bars flashing like fallen suns in the black city hollows of the dark. Loud music rumbled and pulsed, but it was faint enough back here. We talked about nothing, the old times, about when we'd want to Greece and to Italy, Venice, the lights on the Grand Canal, that kind of stuff pretending that this was just one more lit-up night meant for the young and the beautiful, which once, had we? We had been too. Then she brought out the cake. It was like a birthday. She made me cut the first slice. It was like I remembered. No one cooks like that. It's taxable. And Ed, fat, happy Ed, best body, how had he kept himself to just 230 pounds? Over on the dresser, once an enhanced photo of Mariana's dad, who had died fifteen days ago. He'd been eighty-six. At eighty-six, perhaps, not so bad. But no, it had been. Bad. But they'd be all right. They'd be fine. You could see it shine out of them, I thought. The way that other thing burns from the rest. What's wrong, honey? Mariana touched Ed's arm. I hadn't noticed a thing, caught up in my inner dream, one eye still on the horizon of jangled, tangled disco lights. Nothing, just, I guess a bit of nut is stuck in my tooth. Ed, I never put in any nuts. I know your teeth. You can break a molar on cold butter. Okay, honey, no, I know you wouldn't. Just something. Hey, excuse me, folks. I'll go seek the kindness of the dental floss. Laughing, he went. And laughing, we let him go. Are you all right, Jack? She said then to me, so tenderly. Sure, Mariana. Only I'm sorry I can't get you both out of here. When we just repainted the apartment? It's fine, Jack. Ed wouldn't go anyway. He takes the job seriously. And he's so needed now, isn't he? You look wonderful, I said. You look... I look old. She said playfully. And isn't that exactly as it should be at my age? Ed came back, wandering back, smiling, onto the balcony, his glass of wine still in his hand. Batter, sweetheart? She asked. Yeah, it was nothing. Only a bit of... Well, honey, you said you didn't use any nuts. Mariana decided there must have been nuts in the flower which no label had revealed. She blamed the tomb shut down and said she'd have a word at the store. Only about midnight, as he saw me down to the elevator, to the cab I'd ordered, via the corp, did I ask him, What was wrong with your mouth? Guess it's nothing, fella. And? Old tooth. Right way back. Broken a ball game and extracted. I was about fourteen. Seems to be. He paused. He said as the elevator door undid, Growing back. 
Outside, the cab and cab driver and his side rider in the passenger seat with his 29 special catch off all through the ride. Beyond the windows, the lightning of the lights and the young lions out all over the streets spilled like a river of gold and ice and ebony and diamond, running, screaming, laughing, dancing, performing acrobatics, crying, a flood of glamour, going crazy, but the young and the beautiful have always done that. At the hotel, the security netted me in and slammed shut the thick bulletproof glass of the doors. The cab drove off fast as fire through oil, but next minute there was a paramedic vehicle coming on a siren shriek, and soon the doors undid again to let the medics through. The hotel receptionist had long, long pale hair, and when the trolley carried her out to the vehicle, this hair trailed along the floor. Someone whispered, I didn't know. She doesn't look so different. God, we're in trouble. She was very beautiful, and her eyes, crystal clear, green as glass, stared at me as they wheeled her by. Wanna kiss me, Gramps? She murmured, then smiled. I guess you'd rather kiss the cunt of hell. Gaines Journal, X7 Really, Miss Carradine, this is foolish, isn't it? Perhaps you are a friend, even a relative, of the Miss Carradine who is in our books here. I can see a slight resemblance, I admit, in the P.I. image. But I'm afraid I cannot treat you. I'm not your registered physician. They checked my P.I. at the desk. Yes, yes. So how did I get through if I'm not who I say? I really don't know, Miss Carradine, but identity theft is not unknown. Perhaps I should call the police. I got up then and walked out of his office. He'd always been fairly stupid, making a fuss and frightening me over my weight when I couldn't do another thing about it. And although there was the big poster out in front, he apparently said that was all nonsense. I'd heard the assistant talking on her CP about this. She thought I couldn't hear. Well, a month before, I wouldn't have. Going back home, I bought myself another dress a couple of more sizes smaller. I'd gotten a new haircut, too. No need to do much with my hair now, though. This deep red color, thick silk. I saw more of the posters. They were here and there. Anything unusual, consult your health care center. But it was nothing to do with me. Whatever that was, I'd only gone to him because I wanted a contraception shot. I had a date tonight, a really good one. I'd been perimental for a while, but I didn't want to take risks. I could buy the shot anyhow at Fast Hosp. I'd just do that. I was just happy. Finally, it was all paying off. The boring, grueling exercise, the strict starvation diet, the prayers and lit candles, even that whole-body alternative vitamin. I noticed some big tracks running by on the overhead, the kind of rail vehicle they use for building work. Some copters, too, off to the west and east, buzzing around on the sky's edge like big black flies. But you live in the city, and things go on, don't they? It was the start of the foundation for the dome, the tome. But I didn't know, and there was still another month before anyone properly did. Alexander the Great wanted to conquer the world, 
so did Napoleon Bonaparte and Adolf Hitler. A few others, too, come to mind that didn't quite make it so far or earn so much media attention. You get your troops and you march, and you blast and burn and you kill. And then each bit of land, village, city, country, a continent belongs to you. But you've made a mess of it, getting there, a real mess. In the end, all you can really say you are is king of the dead. The next day I saw, to most of the remaining business, a couple of the cab drivers. I made certain I always used a different one, congratulated me. How old are you? Fifties, I guess. No spring in your step, like me. Look, see these brown spots on my hands? I count them every morning. All present and correct. Yes, sir. And then the last one that afternoon, a young, attractive guy who said, Okay, mister, I ain't no problem. Look, here's my license. I'm 29 years old and four months. Legit, see? And look, see? A broken tooth. Something made me say there'd been one hell of a day. You could have broken that this morning. Still be like that, maybe. And he swore at me. You want my fucking wheels or don't you? I want them. Pardon my big mouth. Yeah, you want to watch that big mouth of yours? Sure, you're absolutely right. My dad, he said. That was all. My dad. Another father. Then twenty miles on, he said. He was only forty-seven, young enough, and fit as they go. Fitter than me, driving this tin shit can around all day. Used to play ball, my dad, for the Ruby League. You think? Yes, I'm sorry. Yeah he said. Just watch your mouth. It isn't better for the fit ones anyway. I could have told him, but I was watching my mouth as I damn well should have, as I had with Rosso Senti at the Overmile building. I'd seen the moment we met, anyone would, and he saw me see by now practiced. What do you think, Jack? You tell me, I said, if you want. I've joined the army, he said as we pulled out chairs and sat with the double-screen Lapo Lux between us. The army? The conquering horde, Jack. And what else? I'm enlisted. Senti was sixty-seven, and he'd kept his hair, something Ed, but not I, had always envied. Only now that hair was a deep, rich molasses brown, dark eyes clear as a child's. A couple of years ago, I'd have thought he'd been off for a plasty job. But he hadn't, of course. We completed the task with the screens, exchanged discs. A robo brought us coffee. I've always been healthy, stayed fit, he said when we shook hands. So I won't have long. See you next time, Jack. Wherever I fear. Always nice to work with you. Gaines Journal, X7 That date was even better than I'd dreamed. Best first date I ever had. Strange to say, or maybe not, I'd been attracted to a guy about my own age. Well, a few years younger, 52, 53. And he, well, he'd taken to me all right. You get used to what you see in a mirror. I'd gotten used to seeing this fat, ugly thing that wasn't ever me. And somewhere in the deepest core of the real me, gotten used to always knowing I would one day change. Cinderella goes to the ball, doesn't she? Snow White and Beauty get kissed back out of living death. And that girl in the moldy catskin? 
she gets to throw it off. My nose, my blubber lips, they had only been fat, obviously. They'd melted back to what they'd always must have been, there under the disguise of ugly. A slim nose, a full but well-shaped mouth, all ready for a prince to kiss, and two big blue-as-blue eyes, and red-haired as if the finest henna I'd never ever tried, silk hair falling grass-thick over my shoulders to new, firm, full breasts, and just touching my reinvented slender waist and those lovely dancer's hips. Legs. I had legs now, not chopped off tree trunks. Ankles you could circle, each with one strong hand. Pretty. I'm so pretty. He and I had dinner and went to a hotel. I'd never had so much sex in all my life. He was fit enough, a great lover, even for a guy younger than he was. Or maybe it was already kicking in. I didn't need, had I known, the contraceptive shot. Shame, really. I could have saved the money. But then, for what? He said, I'm old enough to be your uncle. Amused at the old line. Don't be worried, I said. I'm... Don't tell me now. God, you're what, 24? And delirious from the wine and the lovemaking, and the glimpses I caught of myself in the mirrors, I thought, No... I won't tell you, because I'm 61. But that had been the me before I changed. After our first date, there were several others. He had dough, and we went to Flores Beach, and he said, You've woken me up, Ganey. Never felt so good. I feel young. And look, are you proud of me? I've lost three inches off my waist. Later, when the dome went up, he'd stopped calling me. They all did. All the five men I'd gone with by then. The youngest one, he was about thirty. He stopped first. I don't now know if he knew or if he... It's worse then. I wish with him I hadn't. But how could I know any of that? The older ones. Maybe I meet them sometimes on the street at night, when we party and fuck against the walls and the neon lights and throw bottles to try and smash the bulletproof glass shutters on the bars. They'll know me, but maybe I won't know them. Not like they are now. Who wants to get old? Who'll buy? Anyone? None of us? It's in the small print when we're born, when we're struggling through the challenged incapacity of infancy and childhood and the teenage years, it's the monster behind the glittering door. Eighteen, twenty-one, twenty-five. The staircase top, then down. Nobody wants it. But nobody wants to die either. Unless you make them want it. No one. Ed called me at a quarter to four in the morning. When outside, despite the noise resistance of the hotel, I could just dimly hear the crash of music and of breaking things and see through a nip in the dark blind a ripple of red light that was a burning car. I have to speak soft, Jack. I'm in a downstairs John with a CP. Sorry, sorry to wake you. Was awake, Ed. I didn't mention the noises that woke in me. The flames. Working. Sure, sorry, pal. What is it? Is it the tooth? 
Oh boy, if only. It's, it's my friggin' hair, Jack. He says it in a screaming whisper. All over my head, growing back. Thought this morning. Shaved it. Just tidy up the wisps, but tonight it itches. And I can feel it now like it's thick felt, a nap all over my scalp. Okay, okay, Ed. But I was just normal yesterday. I'd gained weight. The weight winner the doctor gave me showed it. But tonight I ate deliberately. I ate like a hog. I've lost six pounds, Jack. We stay in silence. A silence rimmed like the camp in the jungle by watching unseen sounds and eyes of flame. Do you want me to fast-track you into Corp Medicare, Ed? Get you a proper check? This may only be... Jack, I can see it. My face, it's different. And Mariana, she could see it too. I can tell. Is she? She doesn't say a word. But how is she? Oh, no, she's... I think she's fine, Jack. Only... Only... Only we... He falters. The longest pause of all. We had relations yesterday... We do, Jack, you know, she and I. Listen, we both know this fucking shit gets passed on by anything. By a sneeze in a crowded room, by a patch of damp from a sweaty palm on a handrail, a sobbed-out tear, even contact with a piece of clothing, like a dry, clean scarf. I know, I know, I know, Jack, just, I just... I know, Ed, it's okay. God, it isn't. I put the light on in here, Jackie, and I can see my face. Even in four more hours, it's firming up, it's smoothing off. I've always had to stop on the 25th stair at work just for a quick breath, only today. I didn't have to stop. Let me help. What can I do? How do I know? Come into the Medicare. Wilson's outfit is able. It's all right. He sounds deadly calm now. I booked a session with the doc. Did it earlier. Thought he might reassure me. Tomorrow at 5 a.m. Only appointment he has left. Decent guy. He's just 30. The other fella. The one Mary and I knew. The arthritis in his knees went. Scan showed the bones had straightened. Gone back into shape. That was all. He had to leave the practice. Last thing I heard, he killed himself. Ran his car into the West Bridge. Tom. It comes from two words, one of which obviously is dome. Each dome is city-wide and takes in the suburbs, too. They bulldoze out a kind of no-man's land at the perimeter. Sure, some people lose their homes. The freeway's interrupted. They rehouse you inside and make new tunnels for the rail service. Airlocks, landing strips. But it's surprising how fast they can do it when they have to. Condition red. That's why the T and not the D. You guessed, possibly, T is for tomb. A tomb dome. A tome. Because once it starts, it isn't going to stop. One case, two cases, that is the same as one thousand, two million, and rising. Soon to be billions, like it was and is in those other two. Three now places. So all you can do is wall it in, cover it over, put on the lid, rev up the support services inside and the surveillance, then monitor and care 
but care from a distance, and censor the TV channels to protect the sensitive viewer, whoever the fuck that can be. Tome. Entombed. I was sitting in the waiting area, nicely air-conditioned and noise-proofed, with not unpleasant Muzak playing to keep us all serene, when the redhead walked in. Long legs, perfect figure, hair swinging to the kind of waist you used to see only in old Technicolor movies, only now, here and there, you see it quite a lot, especially once the afternoon advances. A hush falls. A few of them put on their little portable masks, but most of them know the masks aren't a lot of use. It will get in any crack, and probably it did already. And anyway, maybe this is just one of those rare beings, a naturally, stunningly, physically beautiful human. She speaks to the reception assistants, gives them her card. They process that. The processing is auto, and there is a partition between the staff here and all the patients, exactly as there is now in there where Ed is, talking to the doctor. Even so, the assistants kind of huddle away. She walks back from the desk and hesitates, looking for a seat that's far off from everyone. What will it matter? The screens, the separation. Under the tome, with its ever-clean recycling air, the germs of all of us move in a never-ending dance, threading and re-threading, so every breath any of us inhales, exhales, is laced with minute, unseeable beads of somber potential. There was outcry when the first tone went up, over and on, but like the cement and bomb-proof glass, it settled. Perhaps this thing can be contained. Surely better to sacrifice X number trillion lives, and so say the greater number, whatever in the end that will be. And there is always, with these events, a percent of natural immunity, too. Not everyone. Not all. Why don't you sit here? She glances at me. Oh, I must already be infected, even if I don't look it. Not a smidge. And I'm parked well away from the rest. Thanks. She sits on the seat next to mine. After a moment, she says, I shouldn't have come here. Maybe not. Don't know if he'll even see me. My own physician kept refusing to believe I was me. I mean, I'm over 60. He thought I was insane, or I'd stolen my own identity. And then, when he changed too, the practice shut. Yes. She crosses her legs. Oh, those legs. She's lovely. She's dead. I just want to ask them something. I sort of want to know how long I've got. I said, they can't always tell. Some have had it six months or a year, no longer than a year, at least not so far that anyone knows. Others, it can be sooner. Somebody said the fitter you are, the quicker. It can do that. If you'll find a start with, it has less to work on. Like somebody young and good-looking? I was obese, or so they said. I look like shit. She gives a sudden, silky laugh. Nobody, even if that offends them, takes any apparent notice. They're all pretending she isn't here, or that everything is ordinary. And you said you're sixty? Yes, she says. 
That's good. You'll probably go over ten months. A full year. That's the current notion. A friend of mine, his wife's father, was eighty-six, partly blind and very frail. He was going strong for more than eleven months, and he didn't get sick. He died in a fight. I'm speaking impartially of Mariana's father. I had never been shown a recent image, how he'd become after changing. Only the old photo, the view of the tired old man. I hadn't seen him either in the apartment, sixteen weeks back, cursing Mariana, this young, handsome, godlike, naked man of thirty-five or six. With his shining hair and mouth full of flawless teeth and dirt, young enough to be his daughter's son, before Ed managed to throw the naked god out, was that how Ed had gotten infected? Very likely. Just a touch will do it. I reach over and pat the girl's smooth hand with its long, strong oval nails. It's okay. Hang in there. They're working on a cure, and they are. The only trouble is. They don't know what this thing is. Looked at under all those microscopes in all those cunningly lit dark rooms, that tiny golden evanescent spangle, now here, now gone. Where has it come from? No one knows. Has it been created willfully or an error, or has it only spontaneously come to be? No one can tell. Brought in or simply dropped from space. Or risen up through millennia from the depths of the guts of the world, it bears no relation to anything known, or even to the premise of the unknown possible. A door comes open up the long room. Out steps Ed Kovalchi, smiling and quiet. The thick new cap of blond hair sheens on his head. It might not be anything. He might only be white already and regularly shave his scalp. He walks briskly to me, sees the girl, and looks at her with his sad eyes. My name's Gain, she says. That's Gainer Carradine. Nice to meet you. And she gets up after all and goes out. And Ed says to me, quiet unto the music, "Let's find the bar." So we go find a bar, although by now it's almost six p.m. And on the streets, the carnivores are gathering in their glowing pelts of murder. All my life, I read books, lots of them, off a screen between paper or cloth or leather covers. Always have my weakness. My eyesight's always been good too. I don't even need spectacles now in my fifty-sixth year. So I have, in the course of reading, read about the great disasters, the wars and sieges, the plagues, when mankind, trapped in the pit of a single village or city or country or continent, roiled and rioted, went mad in an orgy of lust and venery, the last supper of hate, before the blackest death of all swept in to claim them, and that's what happens now. Once they know they have it. They leave the rules behind. They take off their clothes and their souls and hang them on a hook, and reach deep into the fire of life for one last several times. Ed didn't care now. He had joined the legion. He sat and drank whiskey, all one bottle, and then he had some more. He hadn't called Mariana. What could he say? She knows. She knows. 
The young think they won't get this. I mean the truly young ones. The ones who really not only look but are eighteen, twenty, thirty. But they do get it. It just kills them much quicker. Snuffs them out between its amorphous golden fingers. And the children, quicker still, they just drop. There's not much it can do there. Only kill. Maybe it's kinder then, that fast erasing like a dab of whiteout on a printed page. It kills them all. It kills anything human, or one must presume almost anything, because there will be cases of natural immunity, even if this far none have shown up. Four cities down now, as of 8 a.m. today. I heard that from Wilson, over the Scram CP not an hour ago. Over to the west, the latest conquest. Oh, the first case is showing up in Europe, too. One suspect, for one red one thousand, in the Far East. It has a name. Everything has to have one, doesn't it? You're not drinking, Jack, Ed said, slurring a little. Go on, let's drink to long life. In the middle of the bar dance floor, where the neons are starting to flash orange and blue and white, a whirling girl with bare breasts that put the goddess of love to shame, arcs slowly over and falls to the ground. None of the others take any notice except they dance around her for a while. But some minutes after, I see they just dance over her, trampling her into the earth. The floor is wet there, white wet, blue wet, orange. Symbiosis An interaction between two differing organisms which come to live in physical association. This relationship is usually of advantage to both. That is, as with gentle's coral, whose bright color and luminescence, so attracting to prey, spring from the action of the minute, boring worm, Israelum. However, as in this particular partnership, if other conditions become unsuitable, the worm will abandon the host it has colonized at which both color and light are lost, and hollowed out and starved, the coral dies. From the Greek word sumbios, a companion. Parasite, an organism existing in or on another, and living at the expense of said other. A parasite will normally colonize and destroy the host. From the Latin parasitus, via the Greek parasitos, one who eats at another's table. Virus, a submicroscopic infective agent able to multiply only within the living walls of a host. From the Latin virus, poison. Nobody even tries that hard now to stay clear, as I saw for myself first in the airport. The healthy ones are getting blasé, many of them. What can you do? The air is full of it. Was so even before the tome. Every breath you take. Symparasic virus. That is the name. SPV for short. Used in code once before everyone started to have to know. The initial cases went completely overlooked for months. Longer. Because of the peculiar action. The method the virus employs. Before it kills. It makes beautiful. It corrects any imperfections restores movement and function to impaired limbs, anatomy, organs, 
dispenses with aging, reversing time to a level legitimately in balance with existing years. Twenties for fifties and early sixties, say thirties for the ones over eighty. It banishes infirmity. Whatever is even cosmetically wrong, it expunges and makes fine. Whatever is right, it improves to the highest degree endurable. The infected, and by then dying victims, become glorious, and remain so until the last three to seven hours of their lives. Why? It's obvious, isn't it? To make them enticing. SPV likes to colonize, to conquer. That is its sole blind and total ambition, and so each host grows enticing in order to lure further prey, to which the virus can then pass. That works more or less one hundred percent, because we love beautiful things. Most of us, we love to look at them and hold them, and kiss them, and fuck them. And at the worst, maybe we just pick up the clean scarf they dropped unknowing on the sidewalk, and sleep with it under our pillow. It doesn't think, Simparasic. Does it need to? No more than the snowball rolling downhill that becomes an avalanche. But I mentioned the last hours, a comparatively swift death compared to the kind of stuff the human race has routinely suffered, but not enviable. Deliquescence. That word will do, I guess. That's enough, enough for all the world, and for Ed, who was my friend, and Mariana maybe, and that little girl with her auburn burning hair. Enough. I got him home across the city. The cab driver was one of the night guys from the corp. He too had his shotgun riding alongside in the passenger seat. Mariana met me. Calm and unruffled as she wouldn't ever have been if I'd just dragged her partner in from one of our youthful drunks of thirty years before. Once she'd put him to bed, she said to me, I guess he won't feel bad tomorrow. No hangover. Do I have that right? No, he'll be fine. That's how it works, this thing. SPV, yes, that's how it works. Anything goes wrong like that, it puts it right. Alcohol, even tainted food, toxins, neutralizes them in a few hours. We stood in the living room, books on the walls, the music and TV center, good colors, home comforts. If there's anything I can do, Mariana, someone will be out to see him around noon tomorrow. Henry, I think. Okay, she said. I have to go back to, well. Where I have to go, but I could be here again as soon as I can if there's anything. No, Jack, she said firmly. Don't come again. Just let us go now. We all just have to let go, don't we? It's all right, Jack. She smiled at me. It's not if, after all, is it? Only when. The readiness, she added with a sudden arch lift to her brows, is all. Sure, but oh, Jack, do you really think I had my hair bleached this month? I stared at her. She said, "Do you know I'm such a fool? When I first dropped four pounds, I was pleased. Thought it was the diet. My God, not you, not me. Why not me? Why not Ed? 
It's all of us, or most of us. I said, didn't I, or Shakespeare did, the guy I quoted back there? Yes. I didn't know even then if I believed her, or would let myself. Don't now. She came and kissed me, gentle on the mouth. I know I can't hurt you. No, you can't. Not that way. Dear Jack, trust me for this. Ed and I won't fetch up like those others. Maybe we can even enjoy ourselves a little before we have to end it. But that's what we'll do, quietly, here. I know there are no shots, no cure, but there are tablets to make it decent, aren't there? So we can choose. Ed and I discussed it weeks ago. Of course we did. That's what we'll do. Speak to Henry tomorrow, the tablets. He'll see to it you get the best. Yes, we will. Thank you, Jack. Goodbye, Jack. I'll tell Ed so long for you. Nice. Lovely, lovely Jack to know you. When I went down, the cab was waiting by the sidewalk, and so was the girl with the red hair, Gaina Gain Carradine. She's stable, said the corp guy. I checked her out. She's about a nine-monther, holding fine. Brain action's okay. Not pissed and not crazy. What do you want I should do? I'll speak to her. I'm right over here. She and I walked up the block to the cindery dark between the clear white shine of two street lamps. Over there by now the discos bellowed, strobes like northern lights in the lower sky. Might have been another planet. Thanks for what you told me before, she said. About the time I have left. You know that kind of stuff? I can see. How did you find me? Followed you. You and that other guy. Why was that? I don't know. She raised her beautiful face to look at one single brilliant star high in the aerial corridor between the buildings. No, I don't know. I wondered how you're not afraid of this, of what I've gotten inside me. Because you're not sick, are you? You don't have it. I don't have simparasic. So why aren't you afraid? Have they found something that can stop it? I'm sorry. I told you, not yet. If you aren't cured and aren't sick, then are you immune? Yes, Gain, I said, in a way. So how? Her face turned to me now, her eyes not sad or angry, not stupid or scared or anything at all. Empty her eyes, waiting to be filled. Only I couldn't fill them. Only the star that was somehow caught in both of them only the star could do that. I have cancer gain. It's terminal. Another conquering colonizer. And too major an outfit for even SPV to fight. They say TB is the same in its advanced stages, and one or two others of the big gun parasites. It tries SPV, but can't get a hold. And no, one won't cancel out the other. I'm on the same highway gain. We all are. We all always were. Aboard the flight, once we were clear of the locks and covered takeoff, out in the liquid night, the human girl came by with drinks and snacks. She looks like a movie star. She has it too, but no one minds. This is a corp flight, and we all have it here, or something else that won't let it in, 
and we all know where we're headed and what to do about it. Readiness. Yes. So it doesn't matter either when she sees what I'm reading. This wonderful novel, one of the best of the 20th century. The title doesn't even faze her when she asks, then bends to look. I read that in high school, she tells me, and passes on. And I look out the window and watch the city and the tome. One now among seven. Soon one among a countless multitude, falling away behind me into the night. Then I go back into the book, which has less to do with any of this than any other thing I can think of. And its name? Everything has to have one. The Beautiful and the Damned by F. Scott Fitzgerald There you go, don't forget, copyright is Miss Tanathlees. Thank you, Tanith. Hopefully we can hopefully I would like to get Tanith on for the fifteen questions as well, but we'll try and get some more stories off Tanith as well. And Gigi Campanella, you are a star, sir. Thank you so much. So that is Oral Delights, show one hundred and twenty seven. Hope you enjoyed it. I hope you've had enjoyed my little ramble through the kind of the great and the powerful writers that I was spoken to this week. What a what an amazing time. So do look out for over the weekend, updates on Starship so far with the kind of this Easter con and the kind of Hugo Awards. Do we get nominated? Do, you know what I mean? It'd just be an amazing thing if to get, you know, I'd, if we win that, you know what I mean? If you kind of win Hugo's, that's, you know, I can't even think about that yet. Getting on to this kind of, this nomination round will just be staggering, man. You know what I mean? Bloody hell. Look out for that because, like I say, as soon as it's kind of, you know, we're going to, we're gonna, we're gonna, where is it? Oh, we're gonna, gonna play, man. <laughs> we're gonna go and do the show, you know, as the announcements are getting read out, you know, so hopefully we'll bring you all the announcements as well, you know, like best novel, who's in it for the best novel, and everything like that. And as soon as that kind of announcement's done, hopefully our show, that show will be done and I'll upload it straight away on the Sunday night. And, you know, do we get on, do we not? We'll wait and you'll have to wait and see. There won't be a show after that on the Wednesday because it'll be just too much, you know. So the then and now, we'll have to wait until the next month. And I'll just carry on the week after with the kind of the normal show, which will actually be the 15 interrogation questions. So that is Starship Sova's Oral Delight. I've said that already, haven't I? <laughs> show 127. Hope you enjoyed it. Stick around and catch you later. Oh, oh, you see, I forgot. <laughs> If you want to, you know, again, please, if you're thinking about joining the sanatorium show, £2.50 a month, I've just put in an hour-long interview with China Mieville, which is excellent, to be quite honest. Real, and in points, in some places, very personal. Do you know what I mean? I was asking questions, you know, about his mom, and if you, do, if you ever know anything about, you know, China and what's been going on, how he wrote the story for City in the City. It's a great interview, I suggest, or I would hope you'd like to come over and sign up to that sanatorium show. You know, support Starship's over in all her glory. Until next week, just like to say, good night from me. Will our heroes survive this terrible ordeal? Can they win through with their integrity unscathed? 
can they escape without completely compromising their honor and artistic judgment? Tune in next week for the next exciting installment of Distortion Sofa. Evacuation procedure initiated. Shuttle set for launch. Airlock will be opened in 3, 2, 1. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at hellofresh.com. 